Good evening. It's great to, um, uh, to see uh, each of you tonight. We're going to continue our series looking from the scriptures, of course, at our statement of faith. It's very important that we know what we believe as, uh, as Christians individually, but uh, what we believe as a church, what we confess, what truths we state and um, uh, what faith we confess corporately as a, um, as a local church. Uh, so tonight we come to uh, the following statement, which is number three. And it should be on the, uh, yeah, there it is. Let's read it aloud together. We believe that God made our first father Adam perfect, holy, and upright. He was appointed representative and head of the human race, thereby exposing all his offspring to the effects of his obedience and disobedience to God's commands. And let's now turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, uh, uh, read, read further. Um, go down to verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with, his, with flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, brought her to the man. So the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Again, we state, we confess that we believe God made our first father, Adam, perfect, holy, and upright. He was appointed representative and head of the human race, thereby exposing all of his offspring to the effects of his obedience and disobedience to God's commands. It's important that we limit ourselves just to this. One of the, uh, the brothers, totally well-meaning, asked me, are we taking uh, the next one as well, you know, the next statement? talks about um, uh, something related to man not being so holy, moral, and upright. But it's important that we start here and that we stop here for now because uh, these are foundational truths about humanity and they continue to have abiding importance for how we relate, yes, to our brothers and sisters in the church, but also to our brothers and sisters in mankind, those who bleed the same blood and um, uh, have with, within them the same fabric out of which all of us are made. For that is the teaching of Scripture, is it not? That we have one father and that our first father is named in Scripture Adam. And therefore there is a sense in which although many uh, millennia and um, uh, all sorts of migration and all of that later, we are related. We can say that first, we are related as creatures of God. We believe that God made our father, first father, Adam. Yes, that's where it begins. So we believe that humanity is a creation of God. And indeed, it's a, a unique creation, as we'll see. But to start with, just affirming the createdness of God, who we've already confessed a couple of weeks ago is the creator of all things. So we're not actually even going to be thinking about creation itself tonight, but that we are products of his creation means that thereby we possess intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Because God made us. God created us. And he did so, as the text we just read a moment ago, in his image. According to his likeness, male and female, he created them. And because we are creatures of God... Well, you, you don't go or you shouldn't go to something that someone has made and start messing around with it. Uh, craftsmen in the room, okay, Israel, you know, you have, you have some things that you work on um, uh, in your house. 
and um, you've, you've been very kind to open your house to many people in the church and there's Bible studies and meals and various things and that's fantastic and, and great. But you would probably feel much less hospitable if um, a, a few weeks ago when you had several of us over Sunday afternoon, um, uh, uh, if I had you know, instead of just admiring some of the, I don't know, the, the, the grill that you were cooking on or something and enjoying its produce, if I'd started tampering with it. Because I, I enjoy um, barbecue grills. But if I'd gone and, and this thing, which you haven't even made, but it is yours, it, is, it belongs to you, if I started tampering with it and acting like I know what it is and how it works and what's really going on with it, that would have been insulting and offensive and unkind to you as, as my host. Um, affirming that God is our creator and that this is his world and that we belong to God has um, import for how we treat each other. Do we see that? That you don't go and start messing around with his creation in some sort of abusive and exploitative way. Not least of which... Those that, those that are created in his image, people who are above all creation, unique and indeed exceptional. Before we even get to that point, though, of their exceptionalness, um, we, we, we simply by saying we are creatures of God already means that there is some Safety, there is some respect, there is some honor that is due. Not just to that person, to that created person or object or thing, but to the one who created. So if you feel that you cannot respect or honor the creature, you should be able to honor and respect the creator which puts certain barriers in place as to how you interact with people. Does it not? I hope we're on the same page as, as that. But while um, there is uh, really uh, no spelled out law um, at this point in uh, creation, and while there is no, um, uh, you know, um, certainly no Ten Commandments that have been given at this point for quite a while yet, and in fact there is not yet the knowledge of good and evil. Nonetheless, there is such a thing as good and there is such a thing as evil and people were good. Our first father, Adam, was good. And there are certain things that he would not have done, could not have done in his goodness at this juncture. Oh, you understand what, what I'm saying. He had the capability of doing wrong, and he did. And thus, we're where we are today. But that was not something according to his created state. It was not a part of his nature to be bad. Even if he didn't really have much of a concept of what good and bad were. Because he was fundamentally good. Nonetheless, um, we can learn from the law what people ought to be and what they ought to have always been. So, for example, the law, which is given uh, within a context of sin, protects people who have 
been sinned against or, or would or could be sinned against and those who have sinned against them. It penalizes those who have sinned against them. So the law is about protecting and penalizing. In the world that God created, we don't see anything from which they needed protection. And we don't see anything for which they needed penalizing. Are we on the same page? So um, nonetheless, though, we see something of what goodness is, what holiness is, what uprightness before God is in the law. At the heart of so much as the law is the protection of victims and the vulnerable and the penalization of those who victimize and make vulnerable. The law is grounded in this reality that people are creatures of God and therefore have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. And as creatures of God, therefore, the law of God, I'm not necessarily speaking about the laws of people, although the best of them do reflect the law of God. Um, the, the law of God has within it, within our Bibles, protections for the unborn. Why? Created. And created in the image of God. It has protections for the sick. And conversely, protections for the healthy from the sick. That's what some of the, the cleanliness and purity laws of the Old Covenant were all about. It has protections for widows and orphans, vulnerable members of society. It has protections for refugees and economic migrants. It has protections, the law being given to Jewish people, correct? It still has protections for non-Jewish people, for the sojourner in your midst. It has rules that shape economics, business, and faith. The truth that we are God's creatures and indeed stand at the pinnacle of creation should affect the way that we treat people. Even the way that we speak to people. And that's something that continues well into the New Testament and thus we can confidently say today... The Apostle James says of the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So recognizing that people are the creation of God in the image of God shapes everything about how we, we treat them. How you speak, how you act, what you do, the choices that you make and don't make are ordered by a right understanding of humanity. And if, if you really start thinking about what it means for this person to be a creature of God, it will revolutionize the way you treat that person. Especially when they're inconveniencing you or when they are frustrating you or when they are, you know, um, upsetting you or annoying you or any of the other things that we might say when we're upset or dissatisfied with someone's behavior to excuse our own misbehaviors. A creation of God. We believe that God made our first father, Adam. There's a great deal that is packed in that. 
We could uh, make uh, comments further as we did a couple of weeks ago about God and creation. That this world is created and that it is created by God, not just by um, a, a higher power or life force. And that God is personal and that um, we are all of us related. We could talk about that more and what it means for our, our uh, first father, Adam, to be our first father, Adam. And therefore, the implications that has also for how we treat each other ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, nationally, all of the various leaves that we could throw in when it comes to uh, um, sinful prejudices that, that people bring to um, uh, their relationships. Because he's our first father. And we could talk about um, uh, uh, the, the truth of monogenesis, which is something that science is even, um, uh, uh, science as it has uh, been called, is picking up on more and more. That you, you speak to people who do not at present believe in God or at least profess to believe in God, uh, picking up the message that we all come from one ancestor. And so, well, that's not revolutionary. There will be headlines. Scientists now believe that we all come from one ancestor. Uh, for, for millennia, there's a book that has been saying we all come from a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And it's important to say that because it shapes everything else. Yes, it even shapes what we believe about sin. And yes, it definitely shapes what we believe about salvation. Because if we cannot say that there was a first Adam, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the second Adam, as the Apostle Paul says? That we had a representative who messed things up for us all and that we had a representative who cleaned up things for us if we trust in him. The... the, the, the this whole story is—it's a, a story arc that has—it has a beginning and um, and an end, and its fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. These are very important things uh, that will continue to develop over the weeks ahead. But for now, to say that we believe Adam, God made our first father Adam, is to say that people are a creation of God. Secondly, we believe that God made our first father Adam perfect, holy, and upright. Which is to say that he's not only a creation of God, but he is a reflection of God. And this is where we really get into the uniqueness and exceptionalism of humanity. I was reading an article this week um, from a, a somewhat of a slightly removed from Christian belief perspective, but nonetheless exploring the, uh, the theme that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, intelligent design. Um, uh, this is a particular book um, that explains uh, how humans have unique moral and cognitive abilities. I'll, I'll just read. It should be obvious that there are significant differences between humans and apes. For one, humans are the only primates that always walk upright, have relatively hairless bodies, and wear clothing. But the differences go far beyond physical traits and outward appearances. Humans are the only species that uses fire and technology. 
Humans are the only species that composes music, writes poetry, and practices religion. When it comes to morality, bioethicist Wesley Smith observes that we are unquestionably a unique species. The only species capable of even contemplating ethical issues and assuming responsibilities. We uniquely are capable of apprehending the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, proper and improper conduct. Humans are also the only species that seeks to investigate the natural world through science. Additionally, humans are distinguished by their use of complex language. As MIT professor and linguist Noam Chomsky observes, human language appears to be a unique phenomenon without significant analog in the animal world. There is no reason to suppose that the gaps between the two are bridgeable. Other linguists have suggested that this finding would imply a cognitive equivalent of the Big Bang, some seismic event by which we um, uh, developed all of our diversity of, of language. The Bible does speak of something that really just happened, um, but we, uh, we, we will talk about that on another occasion. Because of this evidence, some scholars have argued that humans are exceptional. Natural Academy of Sciences member Philip Scale explained why evolutionary psychology doesn't adequately predict human behavior in this realm. Darwinian explanations for such things are often too supple. Natural selection, Darwinian uh, the, uh, theory, makes humans self-centered and aggressive, except when it makes them altruistic and peaceable. Or natural selection produces virile men who eagerly spread their seed, except when it prefers men who are faithful protectors and providers. When an explanation is so supple that it can explain any behavior, it is difficult to test it experimentally, much less use it as a catalyst for scientific discovery. Contrary to Darwinianism, the evidence indicates that human life isn't about mere survival and reproduction. Humanity's unique physical, behavioral, and cognitive abilities collectively show the design of our species. That's, that's quite a commentary, is it not? When you begin to think about who you are and how you function in your best and in your worst, there is through it all a moral thread, a sense of order, a sense of right, a sense of decency, a sense of something that this is good and something that is not good. Certainly when God created the world, he had some frame of reference for what was not good as the omniscient, all-knowing God he looked at the world he made, and behold, it was very good, which is a truth claim. It, it, it's saying, you know, this is very good, but it's not just a truth claim. It is a, it is a truth. It, it was very good. And there is so much about this universe, including humanity, that we can still see, and Scripture would attest to this, is very good. This exceptionalism, for example, did we stop being completely reflections of God? Did we stop having the responsibilities that he gave us, which we'll talk about a little more in a moment? Did we, did we stop reflecting the goodness of God in elements of our life completely? 
I know what scripture says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not one. The venom of asps is under our lips. You know, um, uh, so the very things that we say, the very things that we think are poisoned and poisonous. Absolutely. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of that is true. And yet, it is like a mirror, is it not? A shattered mirror is not really useful as far as doing the job of perfectly reflecting what it's supposed to be reflecting. Perfectly imaging that which is within the mirror. Or reflecting that to others' view. And yet... There are, as you look closely, actually, if it's broken into a thousand pieces, thousands of little fragments, micro views of the one view that we were to portray. That's what it's like with us. As sinners, we nonetheless remain, according to James, who says we curse people made in the image of God. Um, we still remain creatures in his image. And so we can honestly say the best of us is not of us. The best of us is God. And it's those little fragments of the broken mirror that if you look closely, you're like, oh, there's the image of God. I see the image of God in, in, in that which they did. It could be sacrifice. That's, that's something of the image of God, especially the image of Christ. Can you look at, at someone's story, someone's life, their courage, their bravery, their, their giving up of themselves, and they didn't even know God. They didn't trust in him. But you can see something that reminds you so vividly of Jesus and, 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 and give God glory for that. Can you do that? I don't know about even uh, you know, real stories. I can do that with fiction and look and see, you know, there's something of... The glory of God in this, in this story. And then I think about this story was written by a person with flaws, but they're exercising creativity and imagination and um, complexity. And they're creating this world in this story. And they're, they're weaving together these, these, these various things that are truly incredible. And um, when you look at it, okay, maybe... Maybe the characters they write about are created in their image, the image of the author. But the author is in many ways reflecting the image of God. That's, those of you who are creatives or work in various creative industries or perhaps technical um, industries or uh, design or maybe you're starting a business or Perhaps you're seeking to encourage others in their initiatives and endeavors. That should encourage you. Because you are a creature of God. A creature, it means there was a creator. And you are made in his image. You are a reflection of God. Thus the best of your work reflects the beauty of God and his work. Thus, one could hope that your work is excellent. And that you strive for excellence in your work. Is all of that making sense? We couldn't be having this conversation if we were apes. We wouldn't be having this conversation if we were apes. 
we'd be in a pen or a field somewhere throwing dung at each other or some other favored pastime of that um, uh, segment of creation. But here we are having an intellectual um, exercise, thinking about deep and weighty matters, using language, using our brains, using logic and reason, and working through something that someone wrote to summarize this great book that is 1,500 um, uh, years in the making of 40 plus different authors and all of this beauty that, that we're dealing with tonight. When we read furthermore, uh, he was appointed representative and head of the human race, thereby exposing all his offspring to the effects of his obedience and disobedience to God's commands. So I also not only want you to see that uh, man is a creation of God, that he's, he's not only a reflection of God, but also a res he's given responsibility from God. So uh, all of... Creation happens. God says, let there be, and there is. Let us make, and he makes, right? And, and he makes man in his image. And so um, uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All of that is stuff that is completely beyond our control. But he gives us responsibility. He made humanity... Adam and Eve with freedom, with capability to make decisions. And not simply to make decisions, but to obey him in their decisions to exercise faithful stewardship of the world. That's in the passage that we just read. As we read, you will have noticed this sort of backtracking. Did you see that? In Genesis chapter 1, he's talking about creating male and female. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he talks about it again. What, what's that about? Some uh, uh, scholars have wrongly implied that here we have two different narratives. And there's two different things going on. That's not, that's not what we believe. Genesis chapter 1 is the summary, introduction to creation. It's talking about the creation of everything generally. Genesis chapter 2 is saying, guys, this is a little more about the creation of your people, of male and female, man and woman, of the first father, Adam, and of course Eve. So, so it's, it's not like... Um, uh, you know, going back uh, um, uh, to uh, some some sort, or leaping forward to some new episode, but this is this is rather de going deeper on the creation of humanity, so that we understand how we got to where we are today. Male and female were given responsibilities. Generally, you see those responsibilities in chapter one, don't you? Uh, where he said, "Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it." And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There is a, a dominion mandate. Now, uh, there are people, don't get me wrong, who have abused this concept. 
there are uh, quite wide-ranging uh, philosophies that are generally put under the umbrella term of dominionism or um, uh, something along those lines. And uh, I find, regardless of what camp they're coming from, oftentimes there'll be uh, shards of truth, but also some unhelpful, really unhelpful content. I really prefer to stick with Scripture and what we have stated here, what we confess, about building some sort of um, a massive theory around life um, can lend itself to being unpleasant. In fact, some people in the name of dominion have um, exploited, have oppressed, and they've oppressed other people. Okay, that, we just have to say that. There are some who have, who have um, uh, used this passage sinfully against people, dehumanizing them. You know, so um, uh, there are you know, any number of various prejudiced systems or supremacist values uh, that, that people have used this passage to say because we have excelled in these fields and this segment of the world has not, then that means they are subhuman. And we can treat them however we want. It's how you end up with things like the transatlantic slave trade. Horrific, evil stuff. Often done by people who claim the dominion mandate. We could talk about the, um, uh, the uh, divine right of kings and how uh, throughout uh, European history, uh, European monarchs um, uh, oppressed um, uh, the poor, fine, dominion mandate, or um, uh, we, we have the rights, you know, and, and, and we're just, we're, we're the ones who are taking and seizing it, and you're, you're not, so we'll beat you over the heads with it. Or um, uh, what in the USA they called manifest destiny, which was that we have the, um, uh, it is obvious, manifest destiny of God that we conquer these nations and that we massacre their peoples. Which is very different from going into all the world and making disciples. Horrors have been done, yes, in the name of dominion. But that does not mean that we should uh, uh, you know, just throw res our responsibility away. In the same way as I was talking this morning about the prosperity gospel. Talking about the prosperity gospel doesn't mean you should throw out one prosperity and two gospel. Because prosperity is a blessing from the Lord. And the gospel is good news to, to the world. So, you know, no, together they don't, they don't work. That creates a false system. But, but on their own, in their right spheres, God has given them. So, stewardship. Dominion in the sense of we are at the pinnacle of creation when we have a responsibility to steward as kings and queens of this world the world that God gave to us. Not to butcher it, not to exploit it, not to ruin it and destroy it, not to do any of the various things that indeed we have done as sinful people. But God made us to be different, to do different, 
to treat one another with dignity, value, and worth, and to treat the world in which we live with value as something of beauty to be kept, protected, harvested, used, but never abused. I hope we understand all of that and see that in Scripture. We have a responsibility from God. And as we confess in our statement of faith, uh, Adam, our first father, was appointed representative and head of the human race. Thereby, we can say what was given to Adam was in some way given to you. Friends, you should long to, even as Adam was given work to do, he was put in a garden to tend it. You should long to tend a garden. Not literally, necessarily. Gardening specifically might not be your thing. But to have work and to work hard and to do well, to seek to be excellent for the glory of God. Is that, is that not a good thing? I, I don't understand the narrative that is created. I guess it's a, a, an overreaction to something, but that ends up with professing Christian people who know and confess this stuff sitting on their hands. Laziness. I understand poverty that is chosen for the glory of God. I, I do understand that. Um, when you make a decision that impoverishes you for the blessing and benefit of others, that is good for the nations and the events of the gospel. I get that because in many ways that's my family's personal story. But there are some people who are literally choosing to stay in the worst place in life sometimes. There's no fight. There's no initiative. There's no struggle. There's no go out and get it. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you see that? The, just a, a complacency and an apathy with mediocrity. I, oh, I'm happy with just, you know, being okay. There's great gain in godliness with contentment, the Bible says. I am not diminishing that at all. I am not promoting the love of money because the Bible speaks very clearly against that. But I am speaking against laziness and and. and complacent mediocrity. It's unacceptable because it's so far from how God created us to be. He, he, he made us to tend to things, to, to work hard, to do excellent work, to get stuff done, to image him, our great creator, as creative people who make nice things and do so with our hearts, with joy and gladness. I hope we can agree on all of this. It shouldn't be controversial in the body of Christ. This is how God made us. Adam was our representative. He was the head of the human race. He exposed all of his offspring to the effects of his obedience. And disobedience to God's commands. You see, the one command that is stated... You shall not eat of this tree, one tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We'll talk more about that next time. But I, I have to say this. 
because it's, it's so important for us as, as Christians. Adam was our federal head. That's the technical term. Okay, that is, he's our representative. He, in a federal position of governance, represents us. In the same way that, you know, the, we, we talk about federal states. And there is a representative that is appointed as the head of the federal state. Whether that be a prime minister or a president or whoever. Adam was our representative. And so by eating of the tree of life, we might have lived. But by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we all have died. Because God said, you shall surely die. And that truth is borne out throughout scripture. We're not exposed only to the effects of his obedience, but his disobedience. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 says, In Adam all die. We, uh, also, we also read in Romans chapter 5 that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Yet sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning wasn't like the transgression of Adam. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam represented us. We die because he died. But the good news of the gospel, which I would, I must say, we've presented man as he was made to be. And we know as we think about this, that's not who we are. That's not how we are. That's not the world we live in. Where is our hope? There's man as he was meant to be. And there's the new man, Jesus Christ, as he was, is, and shall forevermore be. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and death spread to all men... So we, we, we read that there's a free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, which has abounded for many. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of God's grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. As by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So if you look at Adam and you see man as he ought to have been, and then you realize something happened, something bad happened, which we'll talk more about next week, and you find yourself dissatisfied with the job that Adam did as your representative, then you need to find another representative in the same way we would with any federal representative who doesn't do their job. And we have a new representative. And that new representative is Jesus Christ, who everything that Adam was not, Jesus was. Everything that Adam failed in, Jesus succeeded in. 
Adam's tempted in a garden, a paradisical garden with, with food. And he had all kinds of food around him. And he fell. He sinned. And one of the first things, in fact, the first thing that we see about Jesus after his baptism and the official beginning of his ministry is he was tempted. Not in a paradisical garden, but in the wilderness. Not surrounded by fruit trees of which he could eat whatever he wanted, but surrounded by nothing but stones. And the devil came to him and said, bow before me and I'll turn these stones and I'll, I'll give you bread. And he wouldn't do it. Jesus is the perfect man. And we're told that he is making his church into a perfect man. In Ephesians, he uses that language. That we are, as we mature and as we grow together in the faith, he is making us one new man in Christ Jesus. As we grow up in maturity and perfection into, his, into the head, that is Jesus Christ. Very good news. It's not all lost. We see the beauty and glory of God in the face of Jesus. So trust in him and in him we find the restoration of, his, of the image and likeness of God and we find the strength to continue to treat others with dignity because he is perfect, holy, and upright. We can be in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight thanking you that you created us and we can honestly say, if we take a step back, and we, we may be in a place of difficulty or suffering or sadness and very aware of the dysfunctions of our life and the sins that we've committed and all of those things, but if we take a step back, we can, I believe, each of us say, what a fascinating life it's been. What an amazing, wonderful life with all of its ups and downs, with all of its variety and weirdness. It's been a wonderful life that you've given us. You created us. And as your creatures, we, though sin sinners by nature, we carry within ourselves the fragments of your reflection. We thank you for your grace that continues to work through us, vile though we've been, vile though we are. In Jesus, uh, in Jesus, we find the renewal and the wholeness of this image. And we thank you that you have and are remaking us in the image and likeness of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the responsibilities that you've given us. Responsibilities that though they, they, um, they may be more unpleasant to fulfill now, never really went away. You still give us gardens to tend. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us in the week ahead as we work. Whether we have jobs or not, I pray we would work. That we would not be lazy or idle. That we would uh, not be busy bodies, but busy. And um, that we would uh, be busy with the right things, with good things, righteous things. Not least providing for ourselves and our families. And um, accruing uh, the resources with which to bless others and be generous. Help us, Lord God, to be who we ought to be in Jesus Christ. We cannot do this in ourselves. So we pray that you would work within us according to all of your goodwill and pleasure by the power of the Holy Spirit.
in Jesus' name.